We're live. We're live. We're live. From where there's a will, live again. I'll just get stuck in. I'll figure it out after I've uh, I've actually done it. Sure. Um, I'm Byron Crowhurst. I'm a ESC computing game student and just a general nerd. Student representative. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> That's how we met. You should put that on your CV, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's good uh, for your image. Doing so much like student stuff, I, it would be great for my CV, but oh, God, it's so <laughs> stressful sometimes. <laughs> I'm quite lucky. The person who I student rep with is... Uh, she was like, do you want to do all the writing or do you want me to do all the writing? And I was like, um... I mean, I'll definitely help. I'll ask yeah. people's opinions, but if you want to do all the writing, go go crazy. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, I get quite anxious in those student rep meetings because I, I often just, like, talk for ages about shit that they just don't care about that my students have said. But, you know, they, they're like, yeah, cool. We'll put that on the back burner. And so I get quite anxious, and my other rep person is there, and he's pretty good. He sees when I'm like that and just takes over when I'm rambling. It's good. Yeah, it's good to have someone to, like, keep your energy in check right yeah it's so useful <laughs> uh, i think the, the person i was mentioning i worked with him on my first project and we worked really well together so mm -hmm. you find people like that it's really useful definitely you got and it's all about making that network right like yeah it's yeah. it's easy to think of it as like just the things that happen but these are the people that you know one day might get us jobs you know yeah right like or we might get them jobs yeah, you never know. It's all about thinking about the future, especially like at this stage at university. It's like, you know, you're networking with people who like some of these people, I'm sure, will be big names in industry when, you know, we graduate. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm doing this podcast is to sneakily interview them all before they're famous. <laughs> and then I can release later when they've got all this popularity. Yeah. Like, ah, here's where they came from. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> um, I mean, I hope I'll be a big name, but God, I just I'm more behind the scenes, hopefully. Oh, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Celebrity in video game culture is not fully established yet. No one really knows how it's done, really. I mean, like you got a few big names like Kojima and yeah, and you know, Sid Masahiro, and... Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think a new one recently uh, came to the forefront. I can't remember her name, but it's E3 at the minute. Um, and from Studio Tango or something, who did uh, is it The Evil Within? Uh, one of their artist or creative directors came out on stage and she was such a big personality that like everyone's fallen in love with her um i kind of hope it just happens naturally like that like you don't just force like force people to love you you just come out on stage and people love you well i mean i think it's all just about being authentic isn't it if you come out and authentic yeah then people can't help but at least acknowledge you for who you are yes exactly Whereas if you exactly. come out with this like PR face on that doesn't really show any of your actual personality, then you are guaranteeing that you're forgettable. Yes, yeah, exactly. Which might be what you want. You might not necessarily yeah. want your personality to be the thing that people are looking at, especially yeah. if you've got, like, I don't know, I'm thinking of, like, GDC talks specifically. Yeah, it's like, yeah. maybe the message of your talk is more important than your personality, but um, in the same token, though, if you don't have a good personality, why is anyone going to listen to your message? Yeah, right. Um, I'm actually super interested in that sort of personal branding, how you go about, like, you know, marketing your personality as a thing. Um, I'm quite frequent on Twitter, just chatting bullshit, because yeah. 
It's who I am, and I, I sort of... Plug yourself. What's, oh. what's your Twitter handle? At Byron underscore Potion, B-Y-R-O-N. People always misspell it. Yeah. <laughs> um, People don't expect that Y. No, no. I get Brian a lot as well. Brian. <laughs> they swap the R and the Y. It's, oh, God. Um, yeah, no, like, I, I fear for the day that I have to actually go through my Twitter and make it professional. <laughs> like... Yeah, well, maybe, and hopefully, with the way the world is going, you might never have to make it quote-unquote professional. Yeah, yeah. You can keep it real and just tailor it so that you are producing yeah, content yeah. that's not bad. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> it's not like I like go out on Twitter and I'm massively racist or anything. No, it's, I just chat a load of crap, and like if, if I'm feeling down, I'll like rant about it on Twitter or stuff like that. Yeah. And there's, like, productive ranting, and then there's, like, yeah. unproductive ranting, right? But, like, yeah. as long as you you or I or anyone can, like, tread that line authentically, yeah, then that yeah. word, right? It's like, if you're... It's like when people are shy. I saw a really good video about, like, confidence when being shy, and it's, like, the idea yeah. that just because you're shy it doesn't mean you shouldn't try and engage, you know? Like, yeah. there's uh, the example they were using was uh, the woman who plays Sansa on Game of Thrones. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah. Sophie Turner, I believe. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, she actively has said in interviews that she gets very nervous and is quite bad in social yeah. situations. But it's no, like, she doesn't use it as an excuse to not no. engage. Exactly, Just... exactly. Uh, Leighton Gray's GDC talk about um, Leighton Gray was uh, the, I believe, creative director on Dream Daddy. Yeah. Um, I love that woman. Uh, yeah, she's so good. She was talking about how, you know, being authentic is important and then she just straight up comes out and is like you know i'm so scared about doing this talk i haven't eaten breakfast and i'm like really depressed and it's like <laughs> oh oh i love you for that yeah you know it's it's all about authenticity and just putting yourself forward as an actual human instead of someone selling you something mm-hmm. that's uh that's i think the important part or yeah or at least that's what people can connect to right yeah if they think you're trying to sell them something they're immediately suspicious and they yeah less likely to listen yeah it puts it puts you on the back foot uh you just grab them by the authenticity and if you if you have something to sell them then say here here's something i want to sell you like you don't have to buy it yeah um, that, that's i don't know that's the dream advertising right it's <laughs> yeah. like it's like you you like me so here's the thing i like so maybe you'll like that too yeah so my, my brother actually did advertising at university. Oh, that's it. bloody helpful. Yes, yeah. And he absolutely hated it because it was, you know, all about mind control and how you are. <laughs> he actually owns a video editing company now called Mind Control. Um, just because, you know, he, he learned so much about how advertising is so subconscious. It, it's not about, like, having these big flashy ads that, like, you know, you're like, oh, I want to buy that instantly. It's about letting it formulate in your mind in your subconscious and then eventually you'll make that purchasing decision it's, it's horrifying mm-hmm. um but you know it's what yeah was people think like subliminal messaging is like flashing a word at yeah. you but it's not that that's no. obvious people notice that yeah yeah definitely it's, it's it's way more subtle than that it's putting the product in the shot and you yeah. don't even acknowledge it's there because it looks so natural yeah. even though the whole scene is arranged around that product yeah or it's like um oh god what's it like when when something becomes uh, an adjective or a verb it's like oh i'm just gonna go google something or i'm gonna hoover something like hoover isn't the actual term like it, it was a product it's, it's so weird when stuff like that happens 
or iPad when yeah. did you hear about the debauchery of the NFL? No, what what happened? Oh god, it's so funny. So Windows released like the the Surface, right? Right. And they were like, oh, how do we compete with the iPad? I know we'll give. I think they spent like a quarter of a million dollars on like giving the NFL a bunch of uh, Windows surfaces. Okay. And they put them in these like big cases so they wouldn't like break them and drop them and stuff. Mm. <laughs> and, when... <laughs> and the first day like, that they had all these surfaces, the commentator says, and you can see the coach there using his iPad. <laughs> so they inadvertently gave iPad a shitload of marketing. Fuck, man. And then obviously they were like, you had better cut that out right now. Yeah, yeah. And so instead, they started calling them iPad-like devices. Oh, God. You can see the referee there using his iPad-like device to tell the stewards how to manage the bot. It's just, like, amazing. Oh, God, that's... That is, like, the worst thing you want. Because, as you say, they spent, like, what, a quarter of a million on... Uh, well, probably doing more. That. Yeah, yeah. It was just a quarter million pounds worth of... Or dollars worth of, uh... Of, um... The surfaces, so... Yeah. That then gets used. Oh god, to highlight their competition. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh god, I would hate to be in either of those positions. Like the person that said that, or you know, Windows who have spent that money. Fuck that. It's messy, right? Yeah, that's that's horrifying. It's one thing that I think is quite funny though about our industry is like no one can really get mad at anyone for stealing. It's not like the no. music industry. No. You can't really be like, oh, well, I wrote a song in the genre of rock and roll, so you can't write a song in the genre of rock and roll. Whereas if you make, like, another platformer, yeah. no one gets pissed at you. No one's like, you're stealing my idea. It's because games take a long time to make, right? Like, most games are in development for, for like, at, at minimum three to five years, right? If, if you're a big studio, if you're indie, maybe shorter, maybe longer, but... I think you know. anywhere between six months and ten years is an yeah, yeah. acceptable time yeah. frame. Ballpark but... figure, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But because of the amount of time it takes to make a game, if you come up with an idea and you you start developing it, and then that idea comes out, it means that you weren't the first to have that idea, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like a what PUBG trying to sue everyone about battle royales, like. So you your didn't... idea comes from a book. Yeah. There's from the 80s yeah. like nothing nothing you do is fully and wholly original and that's that's something that's hard to sit with at times and other times it's like yeah fuck it it just means i can do whatever kind of I it, think... it to, to some degree like yeah. i'm not gonna go still silent hill or anything but that's the thing is it's execution right i yeah. think so much of games is about execution so you yeah. could say to someone i don't know you could say to two groups of developers you're gonna make a mario like platformer and they both make something completely different yeah because you can't help but focus on different things. And it's like, it's interesting how if you're quote unquote stealing mm. a concept, it's like, well, if you've done it better, then no one's mad at you. Yeah, well, I think, you know, if you look at the Fortnite versus PUBG, bringing it back to that, just they both do exactly the same thing in that, like, it's a big circle that closes in eventually and you die. Like, the gameplay and everything is absolutely the same. But what makes Fortnite sort of uh, unique over PUBG is that it's stylized graphics and I guess it's the building. Is there building in PUBG? No, no. So the building. So there's these two tiny elements that 
kind of changed the game so dramatically that makes it different. I would argue that that's quite a significant change. Like, the building adds a whole different element yeah. to it. It's... But it's just one gameplay element that mm-hmm. it's, add. It's in the genre of yeah. Battle Royale game, right? It's like it's like League and Dota. Yeah. Like I don't think anyone would argue that they're the same game, but no. to an outsider, you describe them the exact same way. Yeah. Well, if you look at like any FPS, like you could easily, you know, what's different between Modern Warfare One and Two? Like, there's so much difference, but from an outside perspective, like I've never played those games, so they look the same to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And I think as well, it's the whole execution. And also, like, technology changes, right? So if you make yeah. if you make Call of Duty Modern Warfare, the first one, and then, I can't remember how long it took, like, three or four years to develop the next one? Yeah. It's, or it might have been two, I don't remember. They might have done it really quick. But, like, regardless, the tech's so much further along by the time you make the next one, then it's like, okay, well, you've all... Even if it's just an update, it's like you've got so much more to put into it, right? Yeah. It's like the Spyro update or like the Crash Bandicoot update. It's like oh yeah, the remastering but, even. So they're so wildly different, and yet they are like, so true to the concept. Yeah, I I can't imagine how how much effort they put into making it feel the same because it's it fundamentally it's not uh, <laughs> a lot of things are different, like the spacing and the size. Or just, like, the fucking physics engine. Yeah, exactly. It's like, how do you include all of these new things that are so cool about the current gen in this old game idea and keep it the same? That must be really difficult to make. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, God, I'm... I'm genuinely impressed by them. Um, And, yeah, I grew up with Spyro and Crash Bandicoot, of course, so to see them so true to life is... It's just really humbling, I think. It like gives you that nostalgia kick, right? Yeah. It's like, ooh, that feels exactly like my childhood. Right, right. Nintendo are good at that. Nintendo are just so good at grabbing you by the nostalgia. They've got a very good set of design principles at Nintendo. Yeah, that's true. Which makes for a very consistent feel, mm. which means that they are implicitly calling on the same feeling that they had in older games because they've set up their constraints really well. Yes, yeah. Which I think is like a super important thing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I it's worth mentioning. I have no clue about design. It's something I want to learn because obviously I do programming, um, so I know a lot about code and nerd stuff, but nothing about cool design and like how to engage players. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Nintendo just every every year they bring it. I feel I don't think there's been many years I've been disappointed with Nintendo. And, well, they're always working on, like, four different things at once, which helps, right? Yeah, right. Like, you've got Smash into... You know, Smash is basically the sole creation of one developer, essentially. Yeah, Masahiro Sakurai, right? Yeah, fucking savage, dude! I only found out recently. Yeah, Yeah, no, he... I think the story goes he was working on just a random fighter game, um, and he, he took it to the board and... I think he chucked Nintendo characters in there just for placeholder. He took it to the board and was like, this makes a really fun game. And they're like, no. And then Miyamoto was like, go away and develop that secretly and don't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> like, so much. It's like Majora's Mask as well. It's like they, they gave the development time one year. They were like, oh, you want to make another game with this? All right, you have one year to do it. 
and they just smashed it out. Mm-hmm. Which is why a lot of the uh, resources are the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I don't know. A lot of. A lot of design decisions are made due to limitation. I feel. Or and that's important. Made from limitation, like you yeah. intentionally put limits on yourself because it's so easy to get lost in the weeds. It's yeah. something I've been realizing recently. I've been doing uh, a few game jams. I'm kind of in the middle of one right now. It's kind of a nightmare. I'm going to show you the project afterwards so you can yeah, maybe sure, help me because I don't know how to program. <laughs> sure do. And I'm learning how this summer basically. Yeah. I'm yeah. using Godot. The hell is that? <laughs> okay, you know Godot. No. No, you never heard of Godot. <laughs> no, unless it's. Is this Google's thing or no? no? Okay. It's uh, it's an MIT license thing. It's, oh, okay. It's really cool. It's open right. source. It's like a game engine, but it uses its own script. Okay. Um, which is based mainly on Python, I believe. Okay, yeah, I know a lot of Python, so that's fine. You know a lot of Python. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually teaching some uh, things about it in the Games Academy uh, every Thursday for a while. When? Where? I'm gonna come to them. <laughs> I need sure, to then. learn. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we'll be there on Thursday mornings. Um me and uh, I'm actually free this Thursday morning that's nice. sick yeah no come down and I'll, I'll bring I'll the project you. yeah please do or I'll show yeah. you afterwards because like if you yeah. know Python then you'll be invaluable to help me with this idea because like if I can't help you today I will go away and look into it because I I absolutely love programming mm-hmm. I just I don't this is something that I found with the Games Academy is that like I rock up to the Games Academy I start doing work and I'm like god damn I'm so shit and then and then people walk past and they're like, you're doing a great job. And I'm like, oh, they believe in me. <laughs> I should really believe in me as well. It's it's a weird weird thing. But yeah, if I can help you, that would do wonders for my self-esteem. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I mean, like, I think programming is such a... It's weird, because I'm, I'm an artist primarily. Yeah, yeah. Um, although I have been getting into, into design a lot lately. Like, yeah. I'm really... It's funny, I have a lot of design sensibilities that I didn't even realise I had until, right. like, I started trying to do design. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I don't know, it just, it it comes to me in a way that I don't think anything else really does. Like, I, I feel like it, you just have a sense for what what's going to work, and then it's always wrong, and then you just change it. But it's like, I don't know, it's fun to play with. That's That's interesting, because I personally, like, Programming does not come naturally to me at all. Like I suck no, at me maths. Neither. And Programming's shit like that. horrible. But I'm I'm smashing my head against that wall because I, it's something I definitely want to do. But I don't think I've ever really found that thing that just comes so easy to me. Um, maybe no. maybe it is design. Maybe I should look into that. But it's just I don't know. It, I, it's I, weird. Maybe I'm, I phrase that in a way that's not necessarily true. But it's like it's it feels like it flows a lot more naturally. Yeah. I don't know. I have found with like art or program. Programming is weird. I feel like art and programming use the same creative muscle but have a completely different like frustration to satisfaction level. Yes, yeah. So with programming, you are bashing your head against a keyboard for five hours Mm -hmm. and maybe by the end of it, you'll have something that works. Most likely, you'll have to come back to it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas with art, I see you guys constantly creating beautiful shit and I'm like, God. I wish I could do that. But I know, I know, like, if I had put the same amount of time and effort that you guys had into doing art, I'd be an artist by now. If you guys had put the same amount of time and effort as I have into programming, you'd be programmers. It's all about being able to say, look, I'm going to put that effort into what I want to do and just go for it. That's a wicked philosophy, man. And that's 100% true. And I think it's really funny, though, because um, 
the way you describe programming is exactly how I would describe. It's like you work on something with like ninety eight percent frustration level. Yeah. And then it works, and you are suddenly so endlessly satisfied. And you're like, "Yes, I've done it." Yeah. Whereas art, I feel like it's the com- like not the complete opposite, but it's like you start out very unfrustrated because it's like, oh, it's very loose and messy, yeah. and there's no like stakes involved, and it's like, okay, well, I'm just figuring it out. Blah blah blah. blah. And then you get and to the, line up. <laughs> the longer you spend on it, the more frustrated you get yeah. until it's finished. And instead of it being that programmer like. It worked this time. Yeah. Instead, you just go. Oh, I guess it's good enough. I'm fucking done with that yeah, shit. You don't yeah. get that satisfying. I'm done with this now feeling. Well, there's, uh, you know, there is a saying. It's like games are never finished. They're, they're abandoned. They're either abandoned or shipped. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, you're never finished with a game because you'll always want to add more to it and change it and make it better. But mm-hmm. you just have to get to a point where you cut your losses and you say, if I work on this anymore, it's a waste of time. Yeah, it's why um, I like game jams so much. I've done. Oh yeah, I'm, this is the second one in two weeks that I'm doing. Oh wow, congrats! Are you going to be working on the Game Makers Toolkit jam in August? I am now. I'm going to send you a link to it, and yeah, we'll wicked. Yeah, you get you can get involved with my team. Oh hell yeah, man! Mr. Business Industries. <laughs> Sounds really corporate. It's my game team next year. Yeah, well, nice. we're doing it. We're trying to do it more than just making a game. Mm. We're not just um, do like because like there's nothing. Oh, <laughs> shush, piece. This is my team is sending messages to the right, dude. <laughs> but um, the uh, as if on cue, I mentioned Mr. Business Industries. Yeah, they yeah. spring to life with work that they're all doing. <laughs> it's great, man. I love my team. But like, we're trying not to just make a game because like you know I, I looked around last year and the games kept me in like everyone's focused on making a game right right and that's really cool and really amazing and really important oh yeah but i feel like you're going to be more valuable to an indie team if you can go to an employer with a portfolio that's like not just here's the game we made but here's the game we made here's all the documentation we did here like so some of the teams there was a team called Psy. Yes, I I uh, I know them quite well. They yeah. they've got Cass. Trans- yeah, Cass and uh, Lucy who is a BSC. Yeah, um, rattling off names as if anyone will know. But, well, um, you can look them up. There's, what is it, Cassandra? The game is Sai. Look up Sai the game on. It's, a, it's on itch. It's on itch. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty. And they got a little page, and they've done such a good job of like not just making a game, but also documenting it and putting out yeah. content for people to view. And I want to like steer more into that but go even further than like other people have because yeah. i think everyone's very well there's a very clear box right around us that we're in the games academy and that's yeah. our little games academy box yeah i know what you mean i think what what you're trying to say is that you're, instead of making a game for your portfolio you're trying to build a brand yeah right? essentially yeah and like maybe the brand ends when we finish the game and it's all done yeah but but that's not the point the point is that it'll be like i can show people look here's this brand i built yeah it's important. I think Twitter's great for building brands. Maybe Instagram. It depends. Like artists are, like, so for programmers, Instagram's the thing. Like we use, sorry, Twitter's the thing. We mm-hmm. use Twitter so often. But for artists, you guys have stuff to show. Mm-hmm. Like it's really hard because I'm trying to build a presence on both platforms. And Twitter, I can just ramble about code. Instagram, I I can't really. I've taken photos of code and posted it online, and that's not really gotten many likes and it's rare that i have a, you know i'm first year so i'm not fully into agile just yet i'm not i haven't got like projects that i can just show off so often but it's it's hard you can't just 
show your effort as easily on Instagram. Yeah, well, what maybe I would suggest changing your approach to is instead of um, making your Instagram about the code you've made, because clearly your Twitter's already for that, Yeah. your Instagram could literally be the story about how you get your code made. You know, you're yeah, sitting true. down with a cup of coffee and going, right, now I'm going to sit here and make a player <laughs> controller. And then you post two hours later, you sat there with a nut, like three cups of coffee next to you, <laughs> your head in your hands just going, this yeah. is how it works right now. Just error message. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, You know what? I like that. I like that a lot. It's something, I, this guy called Gary Vaynerchuk. Oh, I know. Time, yeah. And My brother like, loves him. Document, don't. Like, document what you're already doing, right? Mm. It's what I'm doing, like, right now with this podcast. Yeah. is like, I'm already having conversations with people. It's nice because, like, it gives me an excuse to be like, hey, Byron, come round and <laughs> yeah, talk to yeah. me for two hours. Like, it's, it's, it's nice. It's really good to socialize. And you get yourself out there as well. People, you know, come and talk to you and they know who you are because they've sat here doing a two-hour podcast with you. Yeah, exactly. And that's why you have to be authentic, because then when they come up to you and you're an asshole, it's like, <laughs> that's not authentic. Or, well, I mean, my brand is entirely asshole-based, so they'll be like, oh, yes, right, of yeah. course you're yeah. an asshole. I'm brand. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, it's like, if you've got that, that discord between, like, your yeah. personal life and your professional life that's too great, it's like, it's going to lead to, like, some weird shit happening. Yeah, I, I try to, especially in the Game Academy market myself, as just a nice guy, you know, I'll run around and hug people. Mm-hmm. in the morning and say hi to everyone but if you catch me on like a moment where i'm really struggling with programming and a deadline's hitting close like there was one time i've been an arsehole to someone and i felt so guilty about it but it was just i was trying to focus on some work and he came up and was like oh it's not done and i'm like no it's not done leave me alone and i'll do it <laughs> it's, it's so hard because like it's genuinely an effort to be an arsehole i believe it like you have to make a concerted effort to just be mean to someone? I think yes and no. I think you choose every action you take, right? Yeah. And I think that oftentimes the choice that's easiest is oftentimes not very courteous, or at least for me personally. Yeah. Especially when I'm stressed, the most obvious choice is, or the most instant choice is the one that's least courteous and probably not the nicest way to phrase things. And it's like, You're right in a sense, but I think that is the easiest choice. And I think it's the whole fact that it is a choice and being aware that it's a choice and then choosing not to isn't actually that much harder. It just requires some mental awareness of yourself, you know? Yeah. Or oneself. I get what you mean. Yeah. It's, yeah, because when I think about those moments where, like, I have that flash of, like, I'm midway through doing something and someone interrupts me and I get that feeling of, like, I'll just fuck off. I choose to just suppress that and be like oh hey yeah sorry i'm working please leave me alone yeah <laughs> like it, or just or just it's it's just putting like because like suppress is not like a good way of dealing with rage right oh it's no like, no but it, it could even just be responding without the emotional resonance of that aggression you could say the exact same thing in two different tones and it means two different things yeah, if true. you if someone comes over and is like oh hey oh the code's not done yet and you go no fuck off i'll get it done that's really aggressive oh yeah, yeah but if no, if no. they say oh the code's not done it's like nah but if you fuck off i can get it done <laughs> like, <laughs> that's true that's it's, true it's a little bit less it's the same sentiment it's even the same wording almost but it's like yeah, one's yeah, coming across from a place of like i've thought about what i'm about to say as opposed to like the first snappy response yeah. like measuring your tone like i'm sure there's like a better way of saying that that's not yeah, fuck true. off but like sometimes you do need to tell people to fuck off because yeah. it's like i'm getting this done i need yeah. you to fuck off there like 
you have to think about because if if you're nice to everyone all the time it leads to people just seeing you as that nice guy that they can walk over and also it means that they don't learn anything from you like it leads to big problems in the long run as well which is something i learned this year was like if you have a problem with someone or something they're doing you need to say it as soon as possible because the more times you let that situation occur the more times that becomes normalized and then when you do bring it up it seems like it's coming from nowhere yeah yeah and it's not and this resentment's been building for ages and it was like something we learned because we had many problems with our team yeah and conversation as i'm sure most teams do yeah but it was like not addressing the issues when they came up was one of the main things we did which was one of the leaders to like massive arguments later yeah yeah and the PO system is there for that. I found that, especially in first year, every team... You should probably explain the PO system. Oh, yeah. So uh, every week we have a product owner meeting, which is where we sit down with a member of staff and they assess how we're doing with the game. I think... So one week is they assess the game and have a crit, and the other week is how the team's getting on. Um, you do, like, peer review and feedback. Um, and, yeah, like, it's, it's set up there... To, for you to do that but first year teams feel guilty for saying look this person's not doing work and i often found that we were making excuses for people it's like oh what's that person done this week and we're like oh well they've been doing this and this even though they haven't and we're mm-hmm. just like no nah, they've been doing this and yeah they're really helpful you know <laughs> i certainly shouldn't have got the mark i did for my team project um because it was far too high like none of my code got in the project in the final build but i got a 2-1 still I don't know, man. Depends. If your code helped inspire someone else to write the correct code, it's something about like prototyping that I've realized that I can't code properly, but I've found someone who can code. Yeah. And so as long as I can give him a functional version of a prototype that does what I want it to do, even if it doesn't actually do what I want it to do, then he can get it to work the way I want. But if you don't give him anything, it's a blank page problem. Yeah. I really appreciate you doing that. Like just as a programmer, we will love you for that because... It's it's easy to be like, here's something I want designed. It's a lot harder for us to go away and, you know, be like, oh, well, how, how should it work? What's the feeling they're trying to elicit with this system? It's, it's rare that someone ever does that for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sort of take the heavy lifting. And, you know, if, if you do that and the programmer goes away and makes a mistake, well, they had a guideline, so it's on them. Whereas if, if you hadn't done that, programmer goes away and it's not comes back and it's not exactly what you wanted they, they'll be like well you didn't tell me how you wanted it i just did it how i wanted it i heard a really cool analogy for this or well, not an, an, an anecdote i mm. can't remember who i heard it from but it was on a podcast i'm sure yeah and they were telling a story about how um they were having an argument in their in their meeting room about an idea and it was getting heated because yeah. people were passionate they wanted this thing to work but no one could figure out how it was working the program was arguing with a designer and the designer had said something. And it doesn't even matter what it is. Let's just say, oh, I want, you know, I want the blocks to blow up every time that the player runs on them. Yeah. Let's just say it's that stupid thing. Yeah. And the programmer is like, well, fuck, that's a nightmare. I'm going to have to... And in the programmer's head, he's running through the huge list of like, yeah. well, do I do that by array? Or do I do that by like yeah, individual yeah. instance? If I do it by instance, is the code going to crash? Or is that yeah. going to compile properly? Or all these things that I don't understand that I'm listing off like I understand. Oh, no, it's fine. Um, and like, and so, but the designer in his head is thinking, I just want the, I just want the player's path to be clear when the player runs through a scene. But he's not yeah. said that. 
And so yeah. they're both arguing back and forth about how impossible this is. And then the designer's like, but I can't see why this is so difficult for you to grasp. Mm-hmm. And if someone had just sat down and spent the 10 minutes to make a prototype, you'd be like, I want the player to be followed by this trail of explosions. The programmer literally, like, once he understood the concept, was like, oh, that, I could do that now. And he did it in yeah. five minutes. Because it's like, if you've got a clear set of constraints, yeah. it's so much easier. It's, it's like uh, if, if someone comes up to you and is like, oh, hey, I want this character drawn. It's an elf that has this, this and this and has this armor and has a bow and arrow. It's like you go away and you're like, OK, well, how does that all look? Right. Uh, whereas if we come up to you with like a shitty sketch, but a sketch nonetheless, you'll have much clearer vision of what you're creating. Yeah, exactly. Or it's like a good art analogy it happened on my team actually, like uh, this year or whatever. Mm. Um, there was uh, this girl, Christina, and she was. Um, she, we'd all been set our tasks or whatever, mm. and she'd been set the task of designing these gates. And she came to me and she was like, you know, well, what are they? What should they look like? Because like I was sort of, at that point, I I think I was like manning the scrum master position yeah. for the week or whatever because the scrum master wasn't feeling very well, right. and. Uh, and so she was like, well, what do you want them to look like? And I had to say to her, I was like, look, this is the this is the hard job. This is the actual difficult bit of the job. It's like, I don't know what they're supposed to look like. I trust you to come back with something cool. But that's the mm. that's what I'm asking you to do is to design the gate so that someone else can take that gate and model it. Like it's something that people do all the time in the yeah. games industry where they um, the art side of it, at least they. Or at least it's very easy to look at like these amazing characters. Like you know, you look at Geralt's model in The Witcher, yeah. and you think, "Wow, one person designed that character and then modeled it, and then modeled all the textures on it." It's like, no, 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 no. no. The person who modeled Geralt's fucking thing had no skill in concept. Well, maybe not none, but like their skill in concept is so much lower than the person who like did that. And equally, like they didn't animate him, and yeah. the person who animated him probably can't do like, or at least probably doesn't do concepts. That's not what they do. And like, and then to think that the environment was made by the same person as well is like ridiculous. Yeah, like, yeah. But it's so easy to conflate it all together, right? Yeah. Well, I, one of the most important things I learned this year, I'm not sure if you went to the talk. I think it might have actually only been a first year talk. But it was by uh, Richard Milligan. He was just like, you know, in games, everyone owns everything and nobody owns anything. Mm-hmm. Because it's so true. Because... As you say, like you, you get Geralt's character model. There's someone who concepted it. There's someone who actually then designed it and modeled it and then animated it. And then the programmers put in his movements. And it's it's a whole host of uh, you know different people going through different processes on the same part of the game. And that's what I love about games industry is that it's bringing so many different art forms together under one interactive medium. Yeah, man, it's so cool, and it's like such a such a varied group of individuals that collaborate on it like entirely i can't think of many other industries where there's as many different moving parts from as many different fields yeah do you know what i mean like vfx and stuff might have parallels but it's kind of not because then you there you've only really got film Mm. and and like there's only like half of a game team in a in a yeah. VFX team. And that's not to say that the VFX teams aren't huge and important and massive and they don't have like as varied uh, input or whatever, but I just think the the types of people that you attract to producing games are so wild. Like Yeah. And and that's one thing, you know, I, I'm absolutely enamored by the passion that people have for games, you know. If 
you as an artist or me as a programmer would go to any other industry, we would probably get paid more and treated better. Maybe. Depends. Certainly as a programmer. <laughs> but the reason I bring this up is because the reason we don't do that is because we have passion for games. Mm -hmm. We really enjoy, you know, it's, it's a really cyclical feeling of like, you know, we were young, we played games and we got a certain feeling that was so profound to us that we were like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And so we went and made it and we try and replicate that feeling for other people. Yeah. Or it's, it's funny. I was asked a question recently um, by a dude who I was hiking, uh, hitchhiking from, actually. Oh, so okay. nice. that, was, that was, yeah, it was quite a profound question, though. He was like, do you make the kind of games you play? <laughs> What's well, your answer? Do you make the kind of games you play? Certainly not right now. But do you even try to? I Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Well, that's the thing. So uh, the two main things that I absolutely love at the minute is uh, mechs, giant robots, and uh, turn-based battle systems. And those two things are so going out of fashion in the industry. Have you played Into the Breach? Yes, yes, I have. I'm so bad at that game, but I love, I love it. that game. So good. But, like, they're, they're going out of fashion, and I, I love them. And eventually, I want to make a game that is either turn-based or is a mech game. I think for my second year project, you know, we're doing the world project now and um, where we have to design a world mm -hmm. instead of a game. Um, and, you know, mine is a mech thing and I'm hoping that will be picked up. If it's not, that's fine. But I'm hoping it will be picked up so I can finally work on a mech game because it's what I want to work on. But at the same time, like if I get into industry and I'm working on, God forbid, FIFA or something like that, that's fine by me. Like I'll, I'll work on it. I'll do it because I want to make games. I, if I want to make games that I want to make, I'll go indie. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that's eventually the hope. But, you know, I want to learn as much as I can from the industry about making games. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. You guys don't even know. Do you know who your teams are yet? Have you been announced? No, no. And this is something that's really annoying. I'm trying to see if I can get them to release it. But I know that I believe it was last year there was quite a lot of... Uh, controversy because they released it early and then everyone hate, hated their teams and they were like oh well i don't want to be in this team and like just suck it up like in industry you'll you'll have to work with ourselves like and people you don't like so mm -hmm. you know it's yeah it's tricky it's it was it's always going to be a mess forcing people to work with each other but then again yeah. like people complained about this year as well because we've got to make our own teams i mean i i i'm not complained but i've been a little bit like it's quite difficult. It is yeah. quite... Because I don't consider myself like an antisocial person. In fact, I would argue I'm probably one of the most social people wandering around. Yeah. In, in at least like the Games Academy lot. Like mm. I talk to everyone. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I can't... I couldn't find a team of people with everything we needed. Yeah. So this comes... <laughs> yeah. This comes back to the whole personal branding thing. And like, you know, some people, some people say that the Games Academy and the games industry is in some sense a popularity contest, but I would argue that it's, it's a branding thing. Mm -hmm. like, you have to make yourself marketable to employers. Yeah, So sure. start now and make yourself marketable to your peers in the Games Academy, right? Yeah. Um, like, it's, it's hard. I try and be the nice guy that walks around and says hi to everyone as well. Uh, but I think that, you know, there is a set blacklist that starts from first year it's like oh this person doesn't work well this person doesn't work well and it sucks because yeah. again it comes and it's not to... based on anything other than whoever happened to talk about that person at yes. the time does it and it's yeah like, but i suppose that's just interpersonal 
things, isn't it? It's yeah. difficult and I don't know, it's interesting. Like, you know, if in like the industry you get some sort of black mark on your name, like some like horrible things said about you, that puts you on the defensive and it's a lot harder to come back from that. Mm-hmm. So it happened recently um, with a YouTube lot, Pro Jared, I'm not sure if you heard any of that. Basically, uh, allegations came out that he was cheating on his wife and that he solicited nudes from fans. And that instantly put him on the defensive. And some of it's true. It's very hazy. But I was watching that because people were treating it like entertainment. And I was watching that very interested in the fact that she was the one that had said that. She had provided no evidence whatsoever. And everyone had believed her. Mm. It was so. It was such a strange thing. And that's that's what happens in the Games Academy. Is you get a bad thing said about you and that spreads like wildfire <laughs> and everyone knows it even if it's not true yeah no it's crazy i don't really engage in it too much you try not to yeah you try not to it's uh it's i think it's it's just about being able to shut it down when you hear about other people yeah. and it means it doesn't make it to you because people understand that like i'm not in it for this this is not why i'm here yeah but it is hard to stay isolated from it all obviously the- yeah, there was, uh, I, I hate talking about this because I feel like an arsehole sometimes talking about it. But there was a team of people who were working on a game in first year. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was between two different teams. There was one team that made a fairly small scope project that had really tight gameplay mechanics. Mm-hmm. And then there was a second team that were working on a different game. And midway through their project, two of them got bored and were like, we'll just make their game. And in two days, they made a version of their game. And it's really easy to view that as bullying. Because they have basically gone in and been like, oh, that's easy, I'm going to make that. And flaunted it around the Games Academy. Like, hey, look, we made this. And it's basically what they made. And it it gets so convoluted. Like, how do you unpick that situation? Like, is it bullying or is it just some guys who are trying to show off their efforts? Like, it's it's a complex one. It really... And I suppose it also depends on, like, what, how they showed that game. If they made yeah. it and they were like, that's a cool idea, I want to try and make our own version of that, and they tried to make it, and they're like, hey, guys, like... It, again, it all comes comes back to that idea of, like, you can't really steal anyone's idea. So yeah. as long as they're not going around being like, hey, look how much better we are, we managed to make their shit in two days. Because yeah. if they went in it like that... That's fucking not very nice. Is yeah, it? right. Uh, but if you just made someone like, if you were like, "Oh, I really like that idea," then even if even if they did try and be like, "Oh, well, we made your game in two days," it's like, no, you looked at our game, used that as your constraints, yeah, and then made a game <laughs> in two days. Well yeah. done. But you didn't go through all of the fucking months of design work to learn why and why not things work. So like, it's not like you've. It's not like you've made our game in two days because you can't make our game in two days. Yeah, yeah. You can't really truly replicate someone else's idea. Well, you can, but it's like, it's you're always going to, like, you're not going to understand why they've made those choices. Yeah. You can make a copy of it, but you'll be limited to that because you don't know what the design thinking was that went into making those choices. Yeah. And ergo, you won't know how to evolve the concept. And guaranteed that the team that originally made that project learned so much more than the team that just replicated it obviously yeah they 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 went through the effort of oh well this is why this is like you know this is why the character moves like this and stuff like that i don't know what was your game this year oh god mine was trash 
Uh, it was Every... the train one. <laughs> Your yours was the train one. Yeah, with the procedural generation. The rail, the rail, rail gunner. guns. Yeah, mate, that was such a cool <laughs> concept. It was, and so I was in charge of the battle system, and that's why it didn't get done. That's what I mean by none of my pro- program got. got you overscoped it. Definitely, definitely. And there were only two programmers on the project, so it's a bit tough to do procedural generation and combat. Man, I loved that concept. When I saw that concept, I was like, because like the the graphics weren't there, the no. gameplay wasn't there, the the the, the presentation wasn't was there. there. No, the concept was so <laughs> good that I was like, I'm willing to forgive all this, and I, I would pay for a game that delivers on those promises. Like it was such a cool idea, man. I'm so appreciative of that because I was the one that put that concept forward to the team. I looked at sort of uh, the you know like. World of War boats or whatever. World of Warships. Yes, that one. Um, and I was like, oh man, that's cool, but nothing's ever really been done on a game trains. with trains. Not like a Battle Trains game. No, it's, it's such an, uh, if you don't mind me saying, a unique concept that I really wanted to do good on it, but I just, it, you know, deadlines hit, and yeah. I couldn't. Um, maybe eventually. Oh, it's an interesting concept. Oh, please. I want <laughs> that game. I really want to play that um, game. Yeah. I, I think our issue is that we spent a lot of the first half of the project contending with Unreal Engine. Um, mm-hmm. and it's got such a steep learning curve, mm-hmm. and a lot of our team... God, I don't I don't want to slag my team off, but a lot of them didn't even touch Unreal for months. And that's fair enough, because it it's horrifying to look at, and it's scary to use. I fully understand that. Um, I really think the first thing that the Games Academy should do in first year is just make everyone do each other's routes for a week. I like that concept. I think that would make so much sense. I know you would get so much pushback and no one would agree to do it, but how much I've learned about just not being scared of getting into the engine because I'm fucking around. Like, so I was an artist. Started the year, second year, with, like, no game-making experience because first year we didn't do any games. We We did got which is like separate. Yeah. So I come into it with no idea what how to make games or really what's useful in games, etc. And as the time went on, like one of our designers ended up having to become a programmer, uh, as happens far too often in second year. Yeah. Um, and then, and then like the other designer had like a bunch of stuff happen to him that meant he wasn't really able to do any design yeah, for a while. Fair. And so the, 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 like, it's like, well, we've got, We've got a game. We've got a core mm, yeah. build. We just don't have anything to put in it because we don't we don't have any design work done in it. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll figure it out. I can't. I can't. I can move blocks around in the engine, and I can play with a, a, a scale that's like the player's speed. Yeah. And so I just figured out what we could do. I liked your concept. I think it, it was sort of like a rhythm game in a sense. Yeah. And I'm so bad at rhythm games. <laughs> so like I. I didn't really get very far, but I like the idea. I used to rollerblade, so seeing yeah. like a game about skating is always cool for me. Yeah, we managed somehow to pull it out of the bag, I think. We, yeah. we got a very frustrating game. Yes, yeah. It was very much... It was, it, it was fair, but difficult. Right. And the more we developed it, the fairer it became. Hmm. How, uh, who was your PO? Uh, Terry. Ah, okay, right. And he struggled a bit with the first half of the year, I think, because yeah. he's new. And then, but he definitely was like super helpful. He just, I think he didn't, 
I don't know. I feel like we kind of didn't get quick enough acceptance of the situation we've been put into because our design, yeah. like our not designers, our, our programmers, from about the end of the first month were pretty non-appearant. They just yeah. didn't show up to any of the meetings and didn't contribute any of the things they said they would. And we were like, oh, guys, come on. Yeah. And like, I don't want to slag people off no, unnecessarily, no. but they, they both had shit happen. Yeah. They had their reasons, but it was like, I wish that we'd have been able to pivot quicker and that he'd have maybe been a bit more aware of the fact that it's like okay well they're not doing anything so because yeah. he was constantly the, like oh well the... give him a chance to turn it around and it's like yeah fair enough but what are we going to do in the meantime yeah so we had quite a lot of people uh we had um so we started out with two writers and like three artists and then we lost one writer and one artist um and the second writer didn't show up for like the entire first half of the project mm. and we were we were discussing this with our PO we were like well what what should we do about that and he's like your game doesn't specifically need writing what you can do is set small writing tasks and if he picks them up he picks them up but don't give him anything critical to do and I think agile in game development is all about sort of adjusting to whatever situation you're in yeah you know, if you've got a full team of people who are dedicated and working that's great that's that's the dream because you know you are all just going for it and you're all working on it but as soon as one person drops out you have to instantly adjust yeah. and like i agree we didn't we didn't adjust because we scoped our game for a full team mm-hmm. you know um rpo was like wow this is a lot are you sure you want to do this and we were like yeah man it, it will be easy um, <laughs> oh the hubris yes yeah oh if i could go back <laughs> yeah but you know we as soon as people started dropping out we didn't change our project no because we, see we did we complete sorry i cut no you no no, entirely, no not like, at all not at all like we completely restarted because we got to the end of the um we got to the end of the year and we were like well what can we make yeah like what can we make because we can't None of us know how to get what we've decided as our game concept. The problem was it was a very simple game concept. Right. And I imagine it wouldn't be that hard to make. I'm sure if me and you sat down, we could get a jam together over yeah. the course of a weekend and actually get a functional prototype. Right. But because team communication was horrendous, just so... It's very yeah. difficult when people have very different personalities. That's yeah. why I'm looking forward to next year a lot more because you won't be put with people who are like you've picked who you're with so you know what their foibles are but it's very hard to get people who have clashing personalities to just get along yeah yeah. and make progress and when people are like fighting each other on personality wars it's very difficult to like make creativity the focus yeah so there is um i forget the name but there's like a specific oh belbin there's belbin team roles that are um sort of you know fill out a questionnaire it tells you what type of team worker you are and i think one of the interesting one is the more creative i think it's uh the shaper uh who is someone who is in charge of shaping the project the way it's supposed to go and if you get two of those they end up fighting for creative sort of control over the project and mm-hmm. the project gets split um and 
you often find that the people that fill in the roles that you don't have are the people that aren't like you at all. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I'm looking forward to is that I've got one person who I definitely know I want to work with. Maybe two. Maybe more. Yeah, I've, like there's one person I've worked with before that I definitely know I work with well. And I'm like, me and him are third year team already yeah um make sure you get that locked down people oh, yeah, get no, very we have. fucking squirrely yeah no we have <laughs> we have um and so i'm looking at people who are quite different from me and who have different work ethics and ways of working um and you know i'm quite a creative type i like coming up with ideas and it's sort of why i wanted to be a programmer is because i was tired of not being able to implement my ideas i was like oh fuck man I, i've got this cool idea but i can't do anything with it i'm not an artist or anything and so i became a programmer and that creativity hasn't died like i still think of new game concepts like constantly um so i'm looking for someone who isn't like that someone who and that that's this person i'm talking about josh he um like he's like yeah man i don't really like coming up with ideas like just tell me what to program and i'll program it Mm -hmm. that's perfect for me because i'm like oh here's a cool programming idea mm -hmm. oh fuck how do i do it <laughs> you know oh man it um, sounds to me like you need to learn some design bro definitely definitely and i well i need to uh i'm reading a book at the minute called think like a programmer because i think the main thing i don't get about programming is how you tackle a problem mm -hmm. like i know syntax and i know how to code but i don't know how to program like mm -hmm. i sit down and i'm like fuck what what should I do? How should I approach this problem? And I always do it in some weird roundabout way. Um, but yeah, design as well. I've always wanted to learn design. I just think that for me, programming will be much better because I can just make the shit I want. Yeah, fair enough. Instantaneously. Yeah. I, I suppose the only reason I say you should learn some design is just because it's like, one, I've had so much fun learning design. Yeah. And two, I think it will help you bridge that gap. Right. That, that, that gap between like I know what I want the project to be and I like but I don't know how to get it to go that way if you're thinking like a designer yeah. if you're thinking like what's my player verb because right. so often game concepts come in. I've, I've noticed it more and more now that I'm like trying to pay attention to like design more mm. is that so often people they definitely have a good idea in their head or like I'll use myself as an example I have a great idea of a game in my head mm. but it's like when i actually like try and describe it to someone yeah. i'm not using specifics that make it attainable as a concept yeah it's like oh well i'll have a great big open world and i have free flying uh, enemies and then there'll be lots of things that the player can do and like people say things all the yeah. time it's like yeah. no 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 what's the verb can you jump can you shoot can you like yeah, can yeah. you portal can you slide it doesn't matter what the <laughs> verb is but think about your verb think about your user experience what's the player going to do oh, i'm going to put a sequence of buttons into this thing it's like that's that's actionable and then i think when you have those that focus of like actually what am i trying to get the player to do yeah then what you need to make becomes clearer maybe yeah it's all about sort of getting the tightest sort of brief for what you're working on as possible mm -hmm. um you know like when when we were working on trains it was like oh what do we want we want two trains to ride alongside each other uh in a randomly generated map right but then you dig down deeper and this is what agile is good for is you dig down deeper and it's like okay well what do we need we need guns that raycast on the train so that's two problems we need guns that follow the train and we need guns that raycast 
But if they're on the train and looking through the walls, they'll collide with the trains. So you'll end up attacking yourself. So how do we tackle that problem? And it's, it's really hard at a high level to dig down. But once you start working on those problems, you get these sort of granular tasks and you're like, ah, oh, fuck, how do I approach that? Um, I'm sure my uh, other programmer friend had so much trouble with, you know, just getting the trains to move and getting them on a randomly generated map or a mm-hmm. procedurally generated map. You know, it was, it's, that, that's what programming is mostly. It's like, define a problem and then tackle it. And I really enjoy that until things don't <laughs> go well and then I get frustrated at it. Yeah. Um, well, it's always frustrating. It's yeah. Like it's... endlessly. Game dev is just, I found that anytime someone uses the word just in a sentence about how long something's going to take, yeah. It's going to take them four times as long as they said it would. Yeah, well, there's a good theory of that in that, um, uh, God, I can't remember it fully, but it was something along the lines of uh, any task that you give a time will always take double the time you think it will, mm-hmm. with this rule included. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you start thinking, oh, well, that task will only take two hours, probably take, like, you know, four times as long, right? Because... You're thinking about, oh, well, it will take, like, you know, double the amount of time. So I think it will take one hour. So I'll say two hours. And actually, it will take eight. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's one of those weird things. Um, it just squirrels away. And then sometimes you'll sit down and you'll have a really productive 20 minutes and the build will move forward three stages. And you're like, yes, how did I get this to move? Well, like this, yeah, that's yeah. when game dev feels so elating, right? You just yeah. like, just... I don't know, it's like almost making love to the code. You're just yeah, like, yeah. there's just this amazing feeling of like, and then I click this and it goes in that Dropbox and yeah. I tick that Dropbox and then I add that to that and then I press play. Yeah. And it works! Yeah. And when you just want to run around the Games Academy screaming at the top yeah. of your lungs. When a build works, it's honestly the best feeling. The sad thing is that that's such a rare thing. <laughs> shouldn't be. That's it something. Be. That's something me and my team figured out early was that we are going to play test yes. all the time. Yeah. I so, say we figured out early. We figured that out when we restarted. Yeah. And we had a new set of design principles, and it was like we are going to play test every bloody week. Yeah. So we didn't do agile like we did like daily stand ups and stuff like that, but we didn't do like test driven design or anything like that. We didn't uh, have a playable build at the end of every day. Uh, I remember that's a lot but yeah it's a lot but it would have helped us so much if we just had you know a gray out of like just or a box out of um like oh here's a block that we intend for you to be able to drive along and now let's get the train driving along it okay now let's attach guns to it if we'd done that and not focused on like anything else like you know we were focusing on customization and stuff like that no. customization is yeah right and you you start you know this is the lesson that i learned from first year and in that like next time i work on a project i'm i'm not going deep on anything in the first month you know i will definitely just start with a small project that i'm like okay now this moves and does what i want it to do okay let's move on to the next stage i think it's about having a clear plan of how you're going to get to the end product. Yeah. What I would really recommend, what really helped my team was like scheduling a play test every yeah. every week or every two weeks. Because that means you have to have a build. Yeah. It means you have to have a build. And like maybe I've heard it said that certain games 
don't need to play a test as much, maybe. But I still think mm. having that weekly or every two weekly play test means that the game has to be in a playable version of itself every yeah. two weeks or every week. It also gives you a lot of really good feedback about like what you can change because it's easy for us in our teams to be like, oh, that needs to change. And then, you know, someone in your team is like, nah, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But if you get someone from the outside who is like, yeah, I didn't really like how that felt. You're like, oh, yeah, that definitely needs to change yeah uh, that feedback is so integral to how we make and progress our games that's such a good point and it's also it's like you you might be having a really like intr- insular debate like you know inside yeah. a team like i'm i'm arguing with the designer about this and the programmer doesn't think that this is working and blah yada 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 yeah and you put it in front of a player and then they can't even get through the first level because you haven't put a tutorial in that doesn't make yeah. any sense. So the fact that it's a 16-button combo that's obvious to everyone else on the team yeah. is a really good example of like this team made a game uh, in, in quite a lot of isolation. Hmm. And they um, they had triple click for, oh, okay. uh, for opening the menu for the inventory. Right. And it was a triple click. No one uses triple yeah, clicks. No one uses... And so like they were they put... This guy, the 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 guy who's telling the story, this very very like well established game developer, mm. uh, who gets flown in for the end of projects to like look at the project and be like, these are the three things you have time and money to do. Yeah. Get on it because it will fix your game. And he came in and he was like, they put him down in front of the playtest, and then he was like, um, how the fuck do I? open my inventory and they're like, oh it's a triple click he's like change that immediately yes, <laughs> like, yeah. why is that triple click that's so unintuitive it's, yeah and you're like if you that's the thing if you had explained triple click eventually you'll you'll become muscle memory yeah yeah i was um i was had the fortunate opportunity to uh be a technical assistant yesterday for a workshop we were using the uh hologance is it's such an interesting thing, but it's so unintuitive to learn. Um, and when, like once you learn all the gestures, like the bloom gesture, um, and how to actually click on things, because you're so naturally inclined to put your finger out and like try and tap on something, but with the hollow lens, you have to put your finger out and kind of pinch it with your thumb to be like, oh yeah, that's that's a tap, because that's how the hollow lens registers. And it was so hard to learn that, and then as soon as I got that. I was telling other people that exact same thing that I just told you, and they got it instantly. And so the importance of tutorials and that sort of thing cannot be understated. You know, a triple click for a menu sounds cool, but you have to inform the player of that at the very least. Yeah, for sure. Oh, like keep your controls as simple as possible as well, right? Yeah, like I've been. Obs- my brother got me this game, and I'm obsessed with it. It's called Superflight. Okay, I see it on your Steam <laughs> right it's now. The most basic game is mm. literally just a joystick, and you have a player controller, and you yeah. fly through levels that are procedurally generated. And the right. closer you fly to stuff, and the more you fly through like tunnels and things, mm. the more points you get. Right. Really basic. One joystick, and then a button to restart. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about. Um... You know, simplistic controls. Did you do Global Game Jam? Yeah, yeah. So one of the constraints for that was, like, a one-button game. Yeah. That's not actually that hard to do. No. Like, you know, our game was literally, like, we developed it for PC or mobile. So, like, the game is just, like, 
you click or tap on something. What was your game that you made? Uh, the Earth one, the one where... Oh, yeah, I remember that one, yeah. I figured out the exploit in it. And... Yes, yeah. <laughs> and we quickly changed it. Um, yeah, no, we put that up on the Global Game Jam, and then we playtested it because we hadn't built it. Uh, it's like a... Um, we hadn't... Oh, what's it called? Whatever. We hadn't made it an actual project or an EXE uh, until, like, the final minutes. And so we did that, and some of the values were out. So it went from you being able to, like, only just about draw that much of, uh, sort of like, a tiny amount of the rainbow bar uh, to you being able to just cover Circle the, the planet, earth. yeah, the whole um, time. So the, for description, the game was uh, you have asteroids flying towards the Earth, and piece by piece, if they hit the Earth, it will break off until it gets to the core. And the asteroid, once the asteroid hits the core, you lose. The way you defend it is by drawing a rainbow around the Earth to deflect these asteroids. With the mouse. With the mouse, or, yeah, or um, touch. Uh, With your finger. Yeah, if we ever develop it for mobile, which we want to. But, yeah, like, it was it was an interesting concept and a cool game, but it was, you know, the, there's so many little things that can go wrong. And, like, actually making sure your project is in a playable state is such a hard thing, I find. Um, especially when you have such lofty concepts like trains shooting each other and stuff like that. Like, how do you approach that in a way that you can constantly have a playable version of that? Um, I think it really helps to have at least one person, maybe only one person from the description you gave earlier, but like <laughs> at least one person who's got a good idea about the, like the direction and the vision of yeah. the build. Yeah, a shaper. Like, they're, yeah, they're important. And I think uh, at least with the train game, like, it was fairly well constrained. It was just quite complex systems. That was the issue is that like my programming let the project down, but you know, like our animator, none of his animations really got into the project because he animated the guns and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, he had done the animations, uh, and I don't really like think that that project needed someone to shape it because it was fairly well defined. I think it's all about having that definition. If your project is lofty and quite high concept, yeah, you need a shaper to be like, okay, this needs to look like this, and this is how this system works. But if you don't have that, I think you'll be okay without it um, for sort of a small, constrained game. But here's the thing, though. I think, yes, if the concept's really obvious, then maybe you don't need one. And maybe I'm misinterpreting, like, the definition of shaper, but, like, from what yeah, I, I hear, having someone on the team, on your team, yeah. who took on that shaper role would have meant that when you had things like, oh, should we do customization? And people spent three weeks making customization yeah. menus. You'd have had someone on the team going, these are nice. Can we get back to making the rails, please? Because we yeah. need that before we get that. Yeah. And that's something that I think if you have on a team, it's, it's so beneficial because it's it's easy to get lost in the weeds of like, well, we could have, you know, for, like, for example, like I can, I can see how like procedural generation and rail guns and, and trains moving, they're all really difficult. But if you'd have just, I mean, I say if you'd have yeah, just, yeah. but maybe it would have been a, maybe it would have been smart to approach from the perspective of like, well, we could do procedural generation later. Let's mm -hmm. get, a single track that has tra yeah. trains shooting each other and then maybe that's easier or maybe that's harder but you find out I don't know maybe yeah well that's the thing it's like the thing that the reason he uh, our 
the other programmer did procedural generation first is he viewed it at, or at least i believe he viewed it as okay so i need these tracks generating along these chunks of like terrain mm -hmm. and they need to be randomly generated but they need to fit together so there's specific like data structures that i have to have mm -hmm. for you to be able to do that so if i work on the procedural generation then i can work on the tracks generating on those chunks and then i can work on the movement yeah he should have worked like agilely he should have worked on the movement first and having a train go along tracks and then stuff like that but you don't know that until you've yeah. done it and then you can look back and be like well, well we should have done it that way yeah That's... hindsight's twenty twenty, right right and you know this is this is one of the things i love about this university is that your first year very much teaches you how to fail gracefully oh fail fast fail hard yeah <laughs> yeah it's how you learn the most. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm particularly happy with the end product of my game, but I'm very happy with the lessons I learned mm -hmm. along the way. Um, you know, like, it's, it's even down to simple stuff. Like, it, the first project, they, they're changing the way the course works, but um, the way it has had worked previously is that us programmers in the first six months are working together in teams of three or four making a Python game. Um and, you know, the first project I worked on, I remember halfway through the project, the game was running really buggily. It wasn't working that well. And we had a second year uh, do a past session with us um, where he just helped us figure it out. And he was like, where's your game loop? And that's like such a basic thing. But like, I didn't know what that was. And so that's like such a critical moment for me because I like I learned so much just from him saying one thing. Mm hmm. It's so, you know, programming and game making is very much like months of frustration with like this one eureka moment <sighs> that like everything clicks. Feels so good, man. Yeah. That's why I love Game Jam so much, because you yeah. get that feeling every week or every <laughs> every every 100 hours or however long they last. Yeah, man. Yeah, there's, there's some interesting stuff to be said for Game Jams. Like uh, one of my uh, cohort, his uh, Agile essay... It's about how you could stage, you know, use stage gating with game jams. So stage gating is where you come up with ideas for a game, like, independently, then you'll show them off, and then one or three people is like, we'll go forward with that idea, and then you continue branching off, making your own version of it, until eventually you get one really solid idea. Um, and he was looking at how you could use Agile and game jams for that. It's really interesting research, because it's like, wow... I never thought about, like, making business decisions off this fun thing that programmers and, like, artists and everyone does just mm -hmm. for fun. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Yeah, man. And I think with that, probably a good time to wrap it up. Hell yeah, man. So if you want to shout anything out, you go mad. Yeah, sure. Uh, as I said earlier, follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Byron underscore Potion. Uh, yeah. All right, sweet. Well, thank you for talking with us. And uh, and all the lovely people at home who aren't listening yet, but they will be soon, we hope. Uh, better. Peace. <laughs>